Um, so I come out of the coma. They explained to me what would happen that I had gotten swine flu and they were, and it was funny because it was right after, um, uh, senior week, like right after I graduated and they were like, did you go to Mexico for senior week? And I was like, no, I went to Myrtle beach for senior week. And they were like, how the heck did you get swine flu? And I was like, I don't fucking know. So, um, they say, they said I had swine flu. That's why I was so sick. Um, when I went into the hospital to go to the emergency room, I must've breathed in MRSA. I guess MRSA is very airbound mm. in hospitals. Um, so I must've breathed it in. And that's why like the burning went through my nose to my throat, um, down to my right lung. And then the, my, that caused pneumonia in my right lung. And then that's what's like essentially almost killed me. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of the Unst.com, Bill's manager, and if you can't tell by my voice, I'm certifiably dead thanks to an insane weekend at the Unst Festival. Apologies if any of you had the misfortune of meeting me. Bill's guest today is Lex Katz, a.k.a. Zaya. She's one of those rare success stories of people going from behind the scenes to taking over the spotlight, from being a TM and merch manager to all sorts of jobs you work on a tour, to being a big part of the Subtronics Blunts and Blondes Up in Smoke tour, as well as her own string of dates with Vampa to now playing massive festival stages. She's been a focal point of the heavy bass scene for a while now. And we also share a mutual admiration for our little baby brother, Chi, my absolute precious angel. Thanks to everyone who's been rating the show and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts and other assorted podcatchers. It really helps people find the show. Please join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast. We really appreciate everyone who supports the show that way. I'm going to give you one last warning, I think. The Kill Bill show at the Mish is going to sell out. That's a given. Whether or not you snag yourself a ticket is up to you. After the absolute clinic they put on at the Uns Festival this past weekend, people are going to start talking about this project if they haven't already. June 26th is when it's happening. Northern Colorado. Resonant language, navigators, and sort of vague are on the bill. It's going to be nuts. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. Bill took some time off from his new album to do some tutorials for the HCA feed, and they're up there now. That's all for me. Enjoy Bill's chat with Zaya. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. sweet i'm also recording cool well yeah thanks for taking the time to do the podcast oh i'm honored to be on the podcast sick yeah someone on instagram was like you should get more women on the podcast and i was like that's probably a good idea so and it landed (laughs) on national women's day so i feel extra special oh that's sick yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah cool uh how's how's life how you doing life is you know it's been it's been pretty wild um, just in general with everything going on, but I can't complain right now. Honestly, everything's been pretty, pretty good. Um, as of, as of late, how have you been? I've been good. Uh, yeah, I mostly been in the studio, just making tunes. I've actually noticed my like production 
just has gotten way better over this year because I've just been spending or over the last year, I guess. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I guess like usually when I'm touring, uh, like fifty percent of the time or more, I'm not in the studio. So yeah. I'm just like you know out traveling and not writing music, and then oh, you know, sure. the other fifty percent of the time I'm at home and out of the time I'm at home, 50% of that time, I'm just fucking tired and just want to sleep from the I touring. completely understand. I felt like at the beginning of quarantine, you know, it's like, I, I, I like to say that everybody was kind of like, oh, this is a great opportunity. We're all forced in our houses because <laughs> you know, it was between like touring literally like three, four shows a weekend. And then like also working my full-time job at the same time, like three, four shifts a week, uh, depending on how much I was gone. And it went from like both of those things to having absolutely nothing. So I was like, Oh, this is going to be a great opportunity to just like level up with my production and like get a shit ton of music done. And, um, I feel like it went the complete opposite way for like the first little bit of like the first few months of quarantine. I feel like it was so hard to like wrap my head around anything that was going on. And, um, I feel like a lot of people that I know were kind of like in that mental space for, for a while where like, we all just wanted to be like really productive, but we were all like, so mind blown from like just the state of the world in general, that it was kind of hard to like be inspired by anything for a minute there. Yeah, that's totally true. I I found the first like six months or so of quarantine, maybe more, um, I was just writing nothing but like weird ambient music and like, yeah. and just like definitely not bangers. Cause I feel like that shit sort of lost its, um, uh, like, I don't know. Cause I, I feel like bangers are generally, they're kind of like functional music, you know, like yeah. you make them to make the party go. Yeah, no, exactly. And if all the parties are gone, then you're like, well, I don't need the fuel for the party anymore. So yeah, I'll just make something else. <laughs> I think that's happening to like 90% of the people that I know. I mean, there's, I mean, and this is the thing, there's people that, you know, like I personally, um, love experimenting and making all the different types of stuff, especially just like you know, you and I have known each other for so long now. I've, I've, I've kind of like implemented myself into every pocket of the electronic community somehow over the last like decade. And, um, I love so many different types of bass music, but I feel like there are people that still, you know, wake up every day and like, just want to really make like heavy dubstep and have at least continued to be able to <laughs> have something for when all this comes back, you know, but it has been a struggle. Um, at least like before Corona, I had already kind of like had my EP in the works, which has all been primarily like super heavy. Um, and I was just kind of getting that, that finished up as my big to do, um, for the, for the better half of it. And then once that was done, I kind of was like lost for a second. Like what, what do I really want to work on here? Because yeah, it's like, we write this really heavy stuff with, thinking in mind, like what it's going to sound like when we play it live. Um, and it's really hard. It's really hard to keep, to keep that up when, uh, when we have nothing to be preparing for. Um, so I've been experimenting in lots of different types of music actually recently, but, um, I really get what you mean with that. It's kind of hard to like find inspiration when you're not going to be playing it live anywhere. Yeah. Also, I feel like, and I, um, I've talked about this a lot, on this podcast, um, is, uh, like creative limitation. Right. And I feel yeah. like the best kind of limitation for getting music finished is uh, time limitation. Yeah. And if you're playing shows every weekend, then you have that kind of, uh, time limitation. Yeah. You know, well, deadlines you're... are kind of a blessing in disguise. I feel like some people, I feel like it can go either way. Like some people really 
thrive off of like, you know, they do, I don't know how to put this into words. Like it's obviously a lot more fun to make, be making music when there's no restrictions on it. Like you have more, you know, creative, you know, um, you have less limits and you know, whatever, but I personally feel like I work better under a deadline. Like when I know I have something, um, that's due on a certain date, it kind of fuels the fire under me and, and help, helps me in a way. Yeah. And shows were really good for that. Cause you sort of, well, at least I, I can speak for myself. I was like, um, oh fuck, I need like, you know, these tunes to be playable for the weekend. Cause I want to play them in my set. So I'd be like, Shit, yeah. all right. so I just have to get them playable. And just like, whatever I got done by the weekend was, you know, as much as I could possibly get done to make them playable or whatever. Yeah. But now I don't have the, those deadlines. I'm just like, all right. Uh, I guess I'm, you know, just making tunes until, I don't know. I don't have any like deadline. Right. So I'm just like, yeah. I can just keep working on these tunes. Really. I, I feel like a lot of the people that, especially a lot of the friends that we have in common, um, <laughs> that have been putting out like way less heavy music recently. Like, um, you know, if just talking about like of the trees, new album, DMVU's new album, like, um, you know, like even, you know, Charles's new album that just came out, like everybody that's been kind of like, everybody that's been in there feels by, you know, what's going on the last year, it really shows in all the music that's been coming out uh, within the last couple of months. Damn. I didn't even know those guys had just put albums out. Oh my God. They're insane. Yeah. You definitely have to, they, it just, it was just, Charles was just the other day. Um, DMVs was like, I want to say a week or two ago of the trees is, was a few months ago. Um, but everybody's just, I mean, they're still like, still sounds, you know, like there, it's still bass music, but it's like, you know, everybody, you can just tell, you can tell that everybody's been affected, um, in, in such a heavy way by, by what's been going on. I've even started, um, like I'm still making dubstep and I actually, the next thing that's coming out for me is a, a probably the heaviest tune I've ever made, to be honest. It's a collab with Bampa. Um, that's, not going to be coming out for a few months and I can't talk about where it's uh, hopefully coming out yet, which is really, really the most exciting part, honestly, but hopefully that'll be uh, in for public information soon. But um, that is my next release, which is ironically the most heavy, I think that we've, we've done so far, me and her. Um, And, but besides that, I've been going in like a completely different direction recently. Um, I've just been like, uh, writing and singing and, uh, working with other producers that kind of, um, are way better at writing more poppy, (laughs) uh, tunes than I am. And, uh, we've been, I've been doing a lot of collaborating with uh, my singing and songwriting. And that's been kind of like, what's been driving me recently the most. Nice. Are you still living with, um, Jesse and no. So actually, so about, well, were you just going to say and Lee? Yeah. Okay. So the house that you came to was where me and Jesse and Lee and our friend Paige, she goes by, um, freak, like F R E Q. I'm sure you've seen her name pop up. Um, but we lived there like, so that was two houses ago from where I am right now. And then me and Jesse got a house, um, in a different part of Philadelphia the next year. And that was like, probably like a year into when him and Sonia started dating. So Sonia moved in with us pretty quickly. Um, and then, so it was the three of us living in this house and then they actually just bought a, our lease was up in August and Jesse and Sonia bought a house in like pretty close, but just one more neighborhood over. 
And then I actually ended up taking back um, a flat that I used to live in when I first moved to Philadelphia, like one of my favorite apartments that I ever had, which is so funny. It's around the corner from Jesse and Sonia. Nice. And, That's sick uh, that, that they yeah, bought a house. Free. Jesse's, Jesse's crushing it. Uh, so oh, people yeah. who are listening, we should, I guess, stipulate or just mention that Jesse equals Subtronics. Oh yeah. We're so, yes. So lived with Subtronics and Freak and, um, and Chi, Chi and then lived with Subtronics and Level Up. And now I'm just living with my really awesome friend, Gabby, um, who I met through a friend. She's like this amazing hairstylist that just ironically, uh, or I keep using ironically incorrectly, coincidentally (laughs) works next door to the restaurant that I work at. So it's been, she's amazing. I've been living with her. And then I'm in Dallas, like mostly half the time um, with Joey Hesh. He lives here. So I'm here right now for like 10 days. So it's a little back and forth recently. Yeah. Sick. But That's awesome. We've got a pretty solid Philly crew. And then I'm sure you know Zone Drums too. I think so, yeah. Aaron, he's an incredible drummer. He lives like on one side of me on another street. And then his girlfriend just moved around the corner from me. We like have like the, the most in tie-dye Kai lives like three streets over from me with a nice. digital ethos. So we have a pretty solid Philly crew of music speak musically speaking. Nice. Yeah. I think Space Jesus was in Philly for a while too, right? And then also He was. I don't think he is anymore. I'm not sure where he went. Yeah. Yeah. Philly definitely has a pretty cool crew or just a cool yeah. Philly's sick. I I played a show there uh January the oh sorry, I I keep thinking this year is still twenty twenty. Um I played a show there in like January or February of twenty twenty, just before all the lockdown stuff with Dylan Ilgates and Okay um after the show we went out the front and there was just a dude out the front with a giant tank of nitrous just like filling balloons up and selling them for like a dollar to kids and i was like dude what i've never that seen that is called the nitrous mafia i heard um, about this yeah. <laughs> yeah so they're very present at all um electronic <laughs> actually they're very present at any musical event that has people that may possibly be intoxicated or on other types of substances exiting the premises <laughs> Yeah, how does uh, do you know much about their operation and how it how it happens? I like, really where do they know. where do they get all this nitrous and how do they no sell idea. it without getting arrested? Um, I think that it's, I guess, technically legal. I really am not sure, and I got to be honest with you. Even if I was sure, I don't think I would speak much about it. I don't know. I really don't know anything about these guys. Um, I've just been living. You know, I've been living in Philly, like actually living in the city for like seven or eight years now and have been going to the city since, um, going to concerts since I was, you know, like barely 18, you know, young enough or just old enough to start attending concerts, um, which is now over a decade (laughs) and they're everywhere. And I have no idea how they get away with it. They literally like post up in their cars outside of these venues, pull the tanks out and then just like, yeah, just sell them on the street. And like, they're, I guess I think that it's just that it's like, you know, you can like rent one of those things for like, or wait, no, that's not nitrous. That's helium. I was literally about to say that you can like rent one of those for like your birthday party, but I'm like, no, they're not yeah, those nice. ones that Very different. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Forget that. I'm like, edit that out. Uh, no, I really don't know what the legal loophole is with that, but I'm, but I know that there's some sort of like, there, there's some reason that they can't get arrested for it. I'm, I'm really not sure. Something that I'm that we maybe would be interesting to look into. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up. 
uh, is nitrous legal in Pennsylvania? Let's see. Um, on June 30th, the Keystone State's lower body voted 1960 to adopt a measure sponsored by Representative Josh Shapiro. I wonder if he's related to Ben Shapiro. Uh, that would make it illegal to have an N2O bottle inside a vehicle unless it's disconnected while being driven to or from a truck. <laughs> Violating this provision is a $25 offense. Okay, so pretty much they're just not really that worried about it. <laughs> yeah, they're just, they're, they'll just pay. Wait, well, I mean, the funny choice. thing is, too, if you go into like, because, you know, with the, with the with cream canisters, you can mm-hmm. buy boxes of those at like any smoke shop or any sex shop, pretty much anywhere. Then you can just buy, you can just buy boxes of them legally. And that's how another way that people do nitrous is through those little whippet canisters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So all those like... things are like weirdly like, yeah, they're weird, weird loopholes. I mean, you have to like, I don't know. They're just like, you know, you can go to like, like there's this, um, Mini mart <laughs> called the quick stop that we always joke. It's uh, everybody in Philly calls it the murder mart or the stab and grab. It's a pretty like weird. It's like right on the border of like where Philly goes from like kind of a bougie area to like a really sketchy area. And uh, so it's like a little like bodega where like people just are always in there like buying boxes of those things. Um, so yeah, there's definitely weird like loopholes around around those things, especially. I I like, guess, uh, sorry, gone. No, no, I was going to say, just because they're used in, like, um, when people, like, when restaurants are, like, making their own whipped cream and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's probably, uh, like, whole sect of just bakers and shit who are, like, these fucking kids making it harder and harder for us to get our nitrous because the laws are cracking down on it. I just want to, like, put some little fucking meringues on my cake, man. Exactly. (laughs) There's, uh, because there is, like, a cracker with with a canister, I guess. I don't know if that's, like, the official term, but I feel like that's what, like... uh, all I hear it being called, but I always, it's always funny, like opening up this one fridge in the bar that I work at where we keep like all of our slow pourers and our Baileys and our like, you know, Kahlua and like all the stuff that we use for like the cocktails that we have that have like those types of things in them. So we have a whipped cream canister in that fridge, but it's just, I'm just so used to seeing them at like, you know, after parties with these kids, like using them for, um, for that, that is like, I just feel funny. Like every time I open up, um, the fridge and I see that like in my restaurant, like it feels like wrong. Like, I feel like I'm like, why, why is that there? You know, <laughs> just cause of, uh, hanging around too many wooks. Exactly. I, well, I didn't say it. You said, <laughs> I don't know. Isn't that like a self, uh, proclaimed term from the wook community? I don't know. And I'm not touching that. <laughs> True. I, 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 mean, no I, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how they feel about the term. I feel like I am kind of a wook, so it's fine to say that. I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a little bit of a controversial term. I feel like there are many interpretations. So I guess it just depends on how you're using it. Hmm. Like, I feel like if you're like kind of like using it as in like a new age hippie kind of thing, like I, that totally makes sense. But I feel like sometimes there's negative connotations with the word. So I would understand why some people wouldn't want to be like, want to use the word. But like I said, I'm not going to even go there because I don't want to say something wrong. 
I like when people put the word community after it. They're like, oh, the Wook community or the Rhythm community or whatever. I always feel like, oh yeah, there's like the LGBTQ community and then the Wook community. <laughs> like it's, it's like it, another it, community uh, are surrounded with all. That's of why I feel like it's it's a little like a <clears throat> bit of a gray area because it just depends on how you're using the word. That it could be used as like, oh yeah, like uh, you could say something like, you know, uh, I'm really trying to choose my words uh, <laughs> delicately here. <laughs> Um, but you know, you could use it as something like in, in terms of, oh yeah, like, you know, uh, maybe if you're talking about some certain type of jewelry or certain type of, you know, uh, clothing or something and being like, oh yeah, yeah, that's really popular amongst the Wook, Wook community. But then if someone's using it in regards to like a negative connotation that maybe they didn't give themselves using it that like, blah, blah, you know, blah, whatever the situation is, X, Y, Z within the Wook community, like it just depends on how you're using it, I guess. Is that, that's my interpretation of it. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think it's also okay to refer to like types of festivals as, you know, Wook festivals. Yeah, I guess. Versus like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like Coachella and shit like that. That's like EDM or pop or commercial festivals. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got like Infrasound, which is a Wook festival. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And you know what? I've heard that a thousand times. Like you could say the same thing about like Wakan Fest or like anything that's, you know, where it's like definitely like a different demographic of um, electronic music fans. And I, I totally understand where you're going with that. Mm. Yeah. I actually attribute, uh, some of the, like, I think the reason why Subtronics is so popular is because he taps into both the Wook market and the EDM market. Yeah. yeah, He's come a long way with that too. Yeah. And the Wook market is like kind of, I think a pretty huge market. Like, you know, I think Ganja White Knight kind of control that shit. Um, (laughs) and they they do okay. it as well, right? Like they they kind of tap into the Wook and the and the EDM market. Who did you, who did you say? Uh, Ganja White Knight. Oh, okay, no, 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 I thought you said somebody else after that. Yeah, no, I can see that that they weren't they wouldn't be the first ones to come to mind for me, but I can I completely see what you're saying with that. Who do you think is the biggest Wook slash EDM crossover act then? Um, I mean, I would think to say before you know, considering everything, I would say Bass Nectar for sure. Uh, that's kind of true actually, but he, he retired, <laughs> so he doesn't count. <laughs> exactly. Definitely doesn't, but I don't know. I don't know now. It's, it's hard. It's hard to even think about these things now with everything just being shut down. I feel like so out of touch. It's so funny because I went, it went from, I feel like, I mean, again, to bring back like how long you and I have known each other, you know, remember when I close to now almost <laughs> 10 years, maybe not 10 years, maybe like seven or eight or so when I was getting my foot in the door, doing like hospitality and picking you guys up from the airports and stuff like that. Um, it's so funny because like around that time was when I really like dove into the whole electronic scene, mostly dubstep really. And, um, you know, um, I felt like I lost touch with like anything outside of like bass music. And now that I'm getting so involved with this, like singer songwriter stuff and like really trying to do my homework on what's been popular the last two years, I feel like now I've gone the complete opposite way. And it's like, I'm looking into, you know, all these like singers and <clears throat> kind of like alternative, I don't really know. I don't like using the word pop music, but like, you know, it essentially is, but you know, people like Billie Eilish and Paris and Ash Nico and Charlotte Lawrence, all these amazing uh, women singers that I've been like really inspired by lately. Um, I've been doing, I kind of like have dove into that in the last like six months or so. And it really showed me how much I have not really paid attention to anything besides EDM for the last like <laughs> 10 years. And, <clears throat> you know, I'll be listening to these girls and 
all these other artists will pop up on Spotify that have like millions and millions and millions of followers. And I'm like, who are these people? Like I really have been living under a electronic music rock for the last 10 years. I have no idea what the hell is even going on. Like it's, it's just crazy how you can like completely immerse yourself in something and, and have no idea what's going on outside of that world that, and especially with dubstep, like how little of the world really is, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, super niche. I mean, I didn't, really I didn't hear about, uh, <laughs> like two tracks that I found out about through quarantine, which I then found out were like probably the two biggest tracks of the last few years was, uh, Travis Scott sicko mode. I like had, had no idea about this song until like a week ago. <laughs> so and, I'm so discon- like disconnected from that world too. Yeah. And the other one was, uh, old town road. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that, you know, there's really any reason to be sad about that. Um, if I'm well, uh, it's like the biggest tune that has like ever happened. Right. Almost. I, I really, again, I'm so, oh my God. It's so, it's honestly really, um, unfortunate how uneducated I am in that world because I'm really starting to like figure out how little I know about any of these types of like the people that are running the music industry right now, like the biggest names that it's just like, I haven't even heard of these people and you know, they're all of their pages. You know, I get onto their Instagram. It's like 20, 40, 50 million followers. I'm like, what? How have I never heard this name before? That makes no sense. It's crazy. I feel like it's just, it's just insane how much music there is out there. It's just really what it comes down to. It's completely overwhelming. Well, the barrier for entry these days is pretty low, right? Like all you need at this stage is pretty much like an iPhone with some app on it and you can make a tune and then to get it on Spotify is also quite easy. You just need to pay $20 to DistroKid and then they'll put it on every (laughs) store that you want to put it on, right? So it's like with that kind of barrier to entry, you both get one, um, a bunch of artists who you would never hear of otherwise and who are actually really talented and, and yeah. doing really cool stuff who may in the pre-Spotify era have just like gone swept under the rug or not, not gotten their foot in the door because the yeah. you know, people who are gatekeeping these types of things wouldn't have let them in. But you also get this overwhelming amount of music that's getting uploaded and a lot of it is trash and you got to wade through all of it. And yeah. So it's kind of like you got to take the good with the bad, I think, with the with the low barrier to entry thing. For sure. I mean, it's also like, you know, yeah. And I think that in what you're saying, like in <laughs> as a perspective, as a listener, for sure. And then as an artist, I just feel like it's a constant like internal battle of like, it's it's like the most inspiring and discouraging thing at the same time, I feel like, because it's like, there's so much out there. And like, every time I hear a new artist, like honestly in any genre, because I'm so like, that's like one of my biggest faults, honestly, I don't know. You could, it it could go either way, but I'm so genuinely like passionate and inspired by so many different types of music, honestly, so many different like career paths in general. Like I could see myself doing so many things, which has been hard for me to like pick one thing, but as an artist, like seeing so much music coming out all the time and hearing so many different things and like being one of those, I guess you could just say that I'm like really um, impressionable, honestly. Um, and it's like, I hear all these different artists and like all, you know, if we're just going to talk just electronic music in general, like, you know, my biggest inspirations starting out were like Zed's Dead and like Ganja White Knight. And like, you know, that was kind of like what I was leaning towards. And then I kind of got sucked into like listening to more Caspa and Scream and like, 
Benga and like stuff like that. And like everything is just over so many years. It's like every time I hear a different artist in a different genre, like I'm just so, I just get so excited by so many different genres that I like want, I, I get so inspired and then it's like so overwhelming. Cause it's like, I guess over time you realize that you don't have to do one thing, but especially when you're start starting out and trying to like find your sound and like make a name for yourself, like through curating your sets and through like the music that you're trying to produce, it's like just, it's just overwhelming trying to figure out like which path you want to go down and like getting years of experience. It's nice to realize that you really can just do whatever you want and you can make whatever you want. But I just feel like now, especially again, looping back to like digging into the pop world and like this whole other beast that I have been so far from for so long. It's like hearing all these amazing singers and thinking like, Oh my God, I'm so inspired. I want to make all this stuff. I want to do what all these girls are doing. And then just being like, wait, there are so many artists. Why, why even try? You know what I mean? And like, I know ultimately like that I would never like let that mentality take over, but like, you can't help but, or at least I personally can't help but like constantly have those two going against each other in my head. I don't know. That was like a long rant, but I hope well, it, it depends. Sense. Yeah, I understand. Um, it depends like why I think you're doing the thing. And if you're doing the thing just because uh, you want to be like popular from doing the thing, yeah. then yeah, that can be like an overwhelming thought to be like, fuck, how am I ever going to get heard over all this noise, right? Like there's so much shit yeah. happening. Like what, what's the point? Because if, if the whole end game plan is to get, you know, this sort of status and money and shows and all that kind right. of stuff from it, then yeah, it's going to be like, that That can be a thought for sure. But I feel like if you're just doing it for the sake of the fact that you enjoy doing it, then all of that becomes sort of meaningless, right? Because you're like, yeah. well, who, who gives a shit? Like if, if anybody likes this or if anybody, um, you know, goes to the shows or does all of this stuff, because in, at the end of the day, like the whole sort of reward in the first place was just doing the thing, like writing the music. Yeah. Right? But yeah. It, it, it gets tough to think about stuff that way. Um, when you're trying to make music like your full-time job in your career, right? Because at some point, like people have to start giving yeah. you money to do it so you can actually do it full-time. Exactly. And it's, that's, that's the hard part. And, you know, I feel like there's, you know, a lot of people that say, you know, there's that old saying, like, if you, you know, don't, if you have a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But then it's like, there's this, you know, the complete opposite view where it's like, <clears throat> no, if you make your something that you enjoy, your full-time job, it kind of takes away from like the enjoyment, like the, you know, the carefree, like I'm creating because I'm creating. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been singing and writing lyrics and writing songs since I was literally a child, like a small child, like inviting, like having my parents invite my aunts and uncles and cousins over to like sing the songs that I wrote them and stuff. And it's so funny how I ended up being a, um, DJ and producer because I was trying to learn how to become a, I, I kind of gave, well, okay. I'll try not to make this a super long thing, but I always wanted to be a singer. I actually moved to New York city when I turned 18 because I wanted to like pursue like a singing and like dancing career. Um, the second I turned 18, I moved there. But right before that, um, I'm not sure if you know this about me, cause I don't think we've ever like gotten the chance to talk, talk about this. But when I was 18, I got really sick. It's a really long story, but the last pandemic we had, um, I got swine flu, um, oh, and then, which caused MRSA, um, and on my lung and then caused pneumonia. And what is MRSA? So MRSA, M-R-C-A, it's a, like, um, it's like a staph infection. So it's like a 
for lack of a better term, like a flesh eating virus. Oh so, shit. That's horrible. That's ex- dude. This is exactly what Richard Devine had. And yeah. he, he told me about this whole story and I fucking passed out. So like, um, do you want me to spare the gory details? Cause it's little, no, no, let, let's do it. I'll, <laughs> I'll just try not to pass out this time. <laughs> All right. I'll try to keep it, um, brief, long story short, <laughs> um, was very, really sick, like flu sick, went to the hospital because I felt like something was genuinely like not okay. Um, they sent me home, said that it was just a viral infection that I just needed like rest in liquids. Next day woke up, felt like, uh, there had been acid poured down, poured down my throat. Like my ears, my nose, my throat were burning. Like I was, I've never, I've never cried from physical pain in my life. And I literally was like hysterical. I had just turned 18. So I literally went to my pediatrician because I was too scared to go back to the ER. And he was like, I forget even what he like thought it was. This is so long ago. Um, but I, but whatever it was, he prescribed me like cough medicine, like with codeine or whatever in it. <laughs> so I took enough of that and it was doing nothing, absolutely nothing. But I took enough of it to where it, um, I passed out. Like I fell asleep, knocked out, uh, woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't breathe, chest totally caved in, texted my mom from my room, like SOS. Um, she rushed me to the hospital. Last thing I remember is like all these doctors, like over me being like, we're losing her. Like we need to intubate like blah, blah, blah. And like literally hearing like the flatlining machine. And then I blacked out. Yeah. Crazy shit. So, um, I woke up thinking it was the next day I was on a life support machine. So I had like a breathing tube down my throat. Um, it took me like a whole day to like come to, and then they had explained to me that, um, I had been in a coma for almost two weeks Holy and God. that they had medically induced me because I was dying. They had no idea what was going on. So they put me in a coma, <laughs> did like a CAT scan, I think it was, because they w- couldn't figure out like why none of the, um, I had like a pick line straight to my heart that was like 19 different antibiotics and they couldn't figure out why none of it was working. So they did a CAT scan, realized that I had gallbladder stones, which was completely unrelated and like probably wouldn't have even noticed them for like another few years. But since there was like an infected sack of fluid, like around my gallbladder, um, they had to do emergency surgery and take out my gallbladder. So first surgery I ever had, mind you, I was like in a coma, didn't even know. Um, so I come out of the coma they explained to me what would happen that I had gotten swine flu and they were, and it was funny cause it was right after, um, uh, senior week, like after I graduated and they were like, did you go to Mexico for senior week? And I was like, no, I went to Myrtle beach for senior week. And they were like, how the heck did you get swine flu? And I was like, I don't fucking know. So, um, they say, they said I had swine flu. That's why I was so sick. Um, when I went into the hospital to go to the emergency room, I must've breathed in MRSA. I guess MRSA is very airbound mm. in hospitals. Um, so I must've breathed it in. And that's why like the burning went through my nose to my throat, um, down to my right lung. And then the, my, that caused pneumonia in my right lung. And then that's what's like essentially almost killed me. And then now, so then it took me like a year to recover. My right lung is now all scar tissue and my vocal cords are like severely damaged from being intubated. So me being just like me, I never went to an EMT. I never like sought out vocal coaching when I got really like immersed in like you know, learning how to, uh, DJ and make like dubstep. I kind of stopped worrying about it, but now that I've started, um, focusing more on my singing, I have started with a vocal coach with this amazing guy in Philly who's in this band called Minka. And he has assured me it's probably the best news I've ever gotten 
that they are totally healable. And he kind of like explained the whole science behind everything and how like your two um, vocal muscles work and how like, you know, he explained all the biology behind it. And um, it sounds like there is actually hope for me after all. And now I'm in the process of working with a vocal coach and healing my vocal cords and giving me some proper um, uh, singing training, like professional training. And apparently there's only, we can only go up from here. So I've been, it's been really actually like a roller coaster of emotions the last couple of months with all this stuff. Um, but that's, that's, what's been the main, the main focus recently is like healing my vocal cords and working on my like singing songwriting stuff. Damn, that's, that's an intense story. It is kind of crazy, right? So you basically just like felt sick, went to the hospital and then woke up and they were like, you've been asleep for two weeks and we removed your gallbladder. Yes, exactly that. And Michael Jackson died. Damn. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I was like, okay, I almost died as well. I'm like a little more worried. Right <laughs> like, yeah, but Michael Jackson almost. <laughs> um, did you like, what, what did you... What does it feel like waking up after two weeks in a coma? It was like all where all your muscles kind of like stiff and atrophied and all sorts of stuff. You know what's crazy? Even so, after that, so I was in the ICU because I was in quarantine um, Mm -hmm. because of the MRSA. So I was in the ICU and I was in the ICU for another week. So I had essentially been bedridden for three weeks. And they have these things on my legs that are like electronic and they like keep the blood flowing. And it was like, okay, so the first time I tried to stand up, like when a nurse was getting me excited to do like a ton of physical therapy because my legs like literally weren't working. And it was like out of a movie. Like I, so I sat up and she's like, okay, we're gonna help you get up. And I went to stand up and I fell into this nurse's arms. Like it was literally like cinematic. And I was like, and I was like, just started sobbing. And I was just like, cause it's already so like, oh, it's so I mean, listen, like they saved my life. Like I was only happy to be alive, but like, imagine like all of that being 18 years old. Like I'm also super claustrophobic and have like, this is a lot of information, but I have a severe like, um, panic disorder that I've had my whole life. Um, so all those put together, uh, with what was going on, um, and, you know, pretty much dying, it was hard to like knock it out of my head. Like I mean, I survived, which is incredible. But like for over a year, I was just like every single day waking up thinking like, like I'm I'm just going to drop dead, you know? So like that whole situation is so overwhelming and like just being helpless, like, and then like trying to stand up and walk and like, just like literally physically falling over. And like, you can't, after only three weeks, you're like, stop working. It's not. Yeah, it was crazy. So then they kept me in the ICU for a week and then I was, they moved me down to like a regular room and I was there for a little bit more over a week. So I was in the hospital for like a month and then it took me to like a year doing um, physical and a little bit, just a little bit of physical therapy to help me get my legs working again. And then respiratory therapy for like a year. Jesus, that's crazy. Just from being in a two week coma plus having, or was it this from the MRSA more so than the... Yeah, so my right lung is like completely non-functional. It's all scar tissue. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. That's, that's why that like, if I've ever been addicted. Anybody to listening that I've ever the one thing I, I, I like to think I'm a nice, really nice person. If, if I've ever snapped on you for smoking a cigarette around me, this is why. Oh, geez. Yeah. That makes I'm sense. such an asshole when people smoke cigarettes around me. I'm like, can you take that elsewhere, please? <laughs> uh, I mean, it makes, yeah, it makes sense if you, you've only got one long, you got to take care of it for sure. I also just hate cigarettes and they're, and I hate when people smoke cigarettes around me. It's like my, it's my one pet peeve that brings out like the, um, 
the nasty legs. <laughs> <laughs> so does this fuck up your cardio much? Like just having one lung? You know, I, it's like, it took obviously at first it, it definitely did. Oh my God. I couldn't even like walk without being out of, out of breath. Um, now what I'm finding is that, so like the only weird things I've noticed is like, I can't, I've always been pretty active, but I'm not like a gym person. When I try to go to the gym, uh, I can't run on a treadmill and I can't like run on like flat ground. Like I can't like go for a run outside running on flat ground or something flat, like a treadmill triggers a lot of chest pain and puts me at like crazy out of breath. Um, using like an elliptical for some reason does not. Um, I, I make, I try, I make this joke. Like, so, you know, how I was just explaining how like all of my best friends live like less than two blocks away from me. Um, I, whenever I'm coming back from their houses at night, um, I live in a pretty safe area, but you know, it's like still Philadelphia. Like I'm a young like girl by myself. So I just, my theology behind, is that a a word? My theology? I don't know. My, my way of thinking is that when I'm going home from someone's house really late at night, I'll just sprint (laughs) because I'm like, who would really want to like fuck with somebody that's just like sprinting. You know what I mean? I'm just like, cause they're just going to be like, what's going on with this girl? Like, why is she sprinting to where or from who? So like, <laughs> since I'm always never going more than like a couple of blocks, I just sprint. <laughs> and I do feel it a little bit then, especially if I'm on the phone. Sometimes I'll call my dad or like, I'll call shy or like call <clears throat> my boyfriend to like be on the phone with someone to like, I don't know. I just feel, I just like, I just makes me feel better in my head. Like people are less likely to try to like mug me or something. If I'm like running on the phone and like trying to do those two things at once, I'll notice that I'm like, especially with a mask on also like breathing that mask in and out, I will be, I'll get to my apartment, like so windy, feeling like I'm going to puke. And I'm just like, okay, I don't know if this has anything to do with my lung or whatever. But, um, another thing that I noticed too, is that like, you know, I work at a bar job. So sometimes I'm working like 12, 14 hours and I double mask at work. So I'll do like an N95 and then either like a surgical. Oh, yeah. If you got like COVID, you'd be screwed, right? Probably because yeah. of the one long thing. Oh yeah. Which is why I've done pretty much nothing but work home, come visit Joey in Texas and that's it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't chance. I try not to chance it as much as I can. Um, but at work for sure, definitely, honestly, anywhere, that I go where if I go to like the grocery store, if I have to go to the airport, I always do an N95 and then a surgical, um, or some type of other cloth mask over it. Um, so trying to work, like imagine working like a double shift, you know, 10 AM to midnight, um, where I'm nonstop talking to customers, like having to shout through two masks. And then I get home and like my chest is like, it honestly feels like before, like this week, for instance, I had a vocal lesson um, on Tuesday. And then right afterwards had a recording session with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with 92 Elm, his name's Joe Hatterley. Um, but he's the producer that I've been working on this other project with. He's incredible. Um, but I went to his house to do a recording session. I was singing for about five hours. And then the next day I worked from 10 AM to 10 30 PM. And then the next day I worked from 10 AM until 7 PM. And by the end of that, By the end of that night, I, my chest was so messed up. Like it felt like, have you ever had like bronchitis or laryngitis or anything like that? I've had bronchitis. Yeah. You know, like that, just like deep, like 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like what you're like right before it gets really bad when like your chest is like, you just have this like really yeah, deep. It's just like on and fire. And oh my God, exactly. And it's like so tight and you can like barely talk through it. Like mm. this happens to me. Like whenever I have like a vocally stressful, like few days, it never progresses past that, but this is just like my life now. Like this is just like regularly, like how my chest reacts to like having to put that much strain on in a, in a row. So like I had a recording, or I had a voice lesson scheduled for, right after my shift on Thursday and I had to cancel. I was like, listen, I'm like, no, I hope you don't think I'm like going to be some type of flake that cancels, but I can't double up on lessons this week because literally just from working and doing a recording session after our lesson, I'm like not able to even speak right now. Mm. It's so bad. This whole story has reminded me of this, um, this thread on this, uh, website called Noisebridge. Mm-hmm. So noise, Noisebridge is, um, uh, it's like a, I guess a warehouse in, uh, here, let me explain it based on the explanation they have here. Yeah. Um, it's a 5,200 square foot, uh, San Francisco hacker space for technical and creative projects basically. And they, they have like a, yeah, it's, it's a sick place. Um, it's like an anarchistic, uh, hacker space and they have a, like a, a forum that you can like post shit on. Uh, and this one thread says, uh, Hey, um, I have a problem that you guys might be able to solve. I have chronic allergies and it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to get antihistamines. Not only do I have to get a script from my doctor, but the pharmacy also keeps track of every package I buy. So my question is, is there any way you can convert readily available meth back into allergy medicine? Oh my God. What? He's like, you know, most people would be asking how to create like X into meth. And he's like, oh. can I, can I do it the other way? <laughs> oh and then, um, God. and somebody actually linked, uh, a paper to him written by someone who was doing this as their PhD project or something. And the paper is literally called how to turn readily available meth back into like pseudoephedrine or whatever. You're saying meth, correct? Yeah. Like meth. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Did these guys respond to him? Oh yeah. There's a, like I said, there's a scientific paper about it, like how to turn meth back into cough medicine or whatever. Oh my gosh. That's (laughs) crazy. Um, that's, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah, Allergies are, it's so funny. My, I have, I have really bad allergies and it's been like really, really cold in Philly the last month. Like we had like one okay day, but besides that, like for instance, like I wore slip on vans to work one day, like just being an idiot. Cause I was running late and I just like literally grabbed the first shoes and my toes were actually numb, even though I'm like only outside. Oh yeah. It'd time. be fucking freezing. Oh my God. Like... It was terrible. It was like 12 degrees in Philly, but there's been super, super <clears throat> cold in Philly. And I just landed in uh, Dallas yesterday at like 7am and even like walking out of the airport waiting for my Uber I just immediately started like, cause it was like 70 degrees here. And I just like immediately started like sneezing and coughing. I was like in my Uber, like, I'm sorry, I'm sneezing so much. I'm pretty sure my allergies are just like acting up right now. I also just yeah. got the vaccine. So I don't know if that was. Um, oh, cool. Did you get the the two shots? Yes. So I went, I went Saturday night after work. Um, and then, yeah, I went like at like 7 PM or something. And then, um, I have my second one scheduled for the 28th, which is actually the day after my birthday. So they were like, when do you want to come in? What's up? Is it the Moderna one? It's the Pfizer. 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 Cool. That's awesome. That's great. And, and you got, uh, you were sort of like, 
in line for the vaccine because you're an essential worker or whatever? So I have no freaking idea. So my manager at my job, like not my music manager, but my um, bar manager sent out a link to us. I had already applied through like PA.gov. I just kept keeping like track of like when we were allowed to. And the thing that's weird about me is since I am super compromised with my lung, um, I still wasn't able to like, well, at least my, my impression in the beginning was that I wasn't able to like do anything about it because I didn't have like a recent diagnosis from a doctor about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, my mom, like it deals with a ton of like medical problems herself and is like in and out of the hospital a lot. So I have, have no confidence in the fact that she has any idea where my hospital records are from when I was 18. So it was like so long ago. So I was like, okay, well, what I do, what do I do here? Um, and then I realized that like, they weren't even like, it was still, I think phase one was still only like for people that were healthcare workers or over 65. Like, I don't even think that it was like at that point, like, I didn't even think it mattered that I was compromised because I was, because of my age, you know what I mean? So, um, the second that phase two B2 or two B, um, the second it was in Philly. So now, yeah, they're doing like all essential workers and everything. And my bar manager sent out a private link to like our whole staff. Um, and I just clicked it right away. Cause like the spots were filling up super quickly. It was for the sixth and the seventh, I guess they're only doing it on the weekends at the Pennsylvania convention center. Um, and it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of appointments. And I had clicked the very last one, like seven fifty six PM. And then it was like, get there before, um, six, if you can. So I got done work at like five 30. It was like, I like fucking flew out of there, got in line. I was in and out within an hour. Um, I got a little bit of like us. I had a really sore arm, um, that I didn't notice until after I landed here. Cause I slept most of my flight. Didn't have any sort of reaction. Um, and yeah, apparently the, the second one is the bad one. I've, I've talked to a few people, yeah. um, including my doctor who got the, they, he, everyone I've talked to got the Moderna one, which is, um, so far, I talked to my doctor who had that one and Hero Bust who also had that one. And yeah. they both said uh, the first one is like kind of a primer. And then the second one kind of knocks you out for like a day, which uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's fine. I'm like, the, it's so funny because I was already so like, uh, kind of annoyed. Like, I'm no, I'm like, so, so thankful that I'm even like able to get the vaccine uh, and that it doesn't matter. Like, I don't mean to sound any type of ungrateful. Um, but you know, like last year I spent my birthday completely quarantined this year. Um, obviously it's just going to be like me and Jesse and Sonia and Joey and, you know, maybe Aaron hanging out and his girlfriend, Emily is a little small, small hangout, but I was like, it literally gave me the option to get it on my birthday or the next day. And I had picked up a shift like at my job the next night after my birthday. So I was like, okay, well, I really don't want to get the vaccine, the second vaccination on my birthday when I have, it's like the, and like actually shy and her boyfriend are going to be in town, um, for a family thing, um, for the one day. So I was like, okay, wait, like, like, like all of the, my close people are in town and like, I want to be able to like, you know, everybody, actually most of half of them at least are vaccinated. Um, and we just wanted to have like a small little get together and, and hang out. And I was like, I don't really feel like being really sick that day. So I made it for the second one. And now I'm like scrambling to get that shift covered. Cause I'm so terrified that if I go get, um, the vaccination and then go try to go into work, like it's just going to be, you know, nightmarish. Right. So you said when you were touring 
uh, like before quarantine and stuff, you were still working shifts like multiple yeah. days a week. Damn, that's crazy. Um, yeah. Because you were doing like some pretty big tours too, right? Like didn't you, you did a pretty large one with Jesse Subtronics, right? Yeah, I did a two-month bandwagon tour with him and Blunts and Blondes. Um, I actually, so at that time, my schedule at work, uh, but, so before COVID, right now we're closed Monday, Tuesdays. But I've, I've been working at this job for like <clears throat> four and a half years, even when I was like trying to, when I first started working in the music industry and I was doing like artist relations, hospitality, I was, uh, training how to become a tour manager with Jesse, um, uh, through all of that, like for a bunch of different companies. And I was really trying to, you know, uh, do as much as I could with, with Eric Silver, Grave Dancer yeah, that, um, and Jesse, even then I was still working like full-time my job, taking off shifts to drive him all over the country and like pseudo tour manage and kind of like learn the ropes and stuff. Um, and then when I started touring, I kind of like, when it started getting, um, busier, I moved my, my, my job is amazing. My work job, I I'm very preachy about it on the internet. Um, it's probably really annoying because I probably post about it more than I post about music. Um, but I wouldn't be able to do any of this music stuff without having such an amazing, um, serving job where, where I work. And it's funny because the job that I work at uh, pre-COVID, I mean, we're going to go back to it, but it's actually a pretty big um, staple music venue in Philadelphia. It's, okay, uh, what's it called? It's called Johnny Brenda's. Okay. Um, we don't have a lot of electronic music acts, but um, mostly like folk bands and like indie bands and rock bands. Um, but it's like, I like to compare it to like the Philadelphia New Age CBGB. Like I feel like bands that like when they're coming up, like it's like, it's a really sought out sought after sought after venue to play for up and coming bands before they're big enough to play like union transfer or, um, the Fillmore or, you know, the Fillmore or, is where I played when I was out the front and people were selling nitrous. Out of- <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Wait. W- yeah. Okay. You said you played with Ill Gates. Yeah. We played oh, in like play a- the foundry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I remember that show. Up the top, yeah. I remember that show. I think I was, I think I was gone that weekend. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, we didn't, we didn't play that like big room. Yeah, that's that. Um, I, I didn't even get to see when Jesse and them played that big room because I was, I was at Okeechobee. Um, oh, that's but, sick that he's played that big room. I mean, it makes sense. He's definitely big enough to do that now. I am not surprised, and I feel like it's only going to keep going up, up from there. God, I'm so fucking proud of that kid. Yeah, <laughs> it's he's just killing. That, that, I mean, yeah, I've been, you know, watching this since, since the early days. And it's just, there's, if there's anyone that deserves the success they have in this world, which I can easily say for a lot of the people that I'm closest <clears throat> in the industry, luckily I'm really fortunate to know all the like really magical humans that we have in this community, but God, that kid works so hard. <laughs> it's insane. I've never seen anybody work harder than him, honestly. But that's really, but the, but the foundry is awesome. I actually opened for Closey in the foundry and oh, cool. that was an amazing show. I love that venue. The sound in there was incredible, but yeah, it was nice. I think they had function once in there maybe or something. Similar. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. And then but yeah, Johnny <laughs> Brenner is, is like the job that I have that I work, that I've been working a long time. And when tour started getting busy, um, I changed, they let me change my schedule to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I would just pick up shifts on the weekends when, um, I wasn't playing shows. So pretty much what would really, what would usually happen is I would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes 
three doubles in a row, picking up any shifts I could. And then I would usually end up flying out somewhere Thursday or Friday. How would you get time to like put your sets together or write any music? Um, well, there's a reason that I had one song come out in 2019. And there's a reason Mm. that I had my first EP and only two other singles come out in 2020. Like I'm also very new to production. I've only been doing it a few years. But I mean, there's artists out there who, you know, music is their full-time thing and they put out, you know, one EP a year as well. So, I mean, honestly, it's, I feel like I don't, I feel like I, I, I mean, I don't have a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of time. There were some days where I was literally um, having my day-to-day Meg book me flights home on Sundays from whatever tour that I did that weekend to make sure that I could make it home in time to pick up a dinner shift. Yeah, like that's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, but like, listen, there are so many artists that are are doing that. You know what I mean? Like, this is like there there are artists that are genius producers like yourself who find a million things to do to stay financially stable enough to you know fill in the gaps between touring. You know, I'm not one of those people. I've been only producing a few years. I'm still developing my own sound. I'm still trying. I still need help from my friends. You know what I mean? Like I need, I need so much guidance and I still, it takes me a freaking year to put an EP together. You know what I mean? So it's like, Mm. I don't have those. I'm still working towards becoming that amazing of a producer where I can find jobs in between to do where I don't have to work a full-time job. You know Mm. what I mean? But I've just been lucky enough where I've had this incredible serving job at this awesome bar where I make enough money and like they have worked with me so generously um and been so supportive of my music career that it hasn't been an issue yeah that's sick it is really sick you like blew up pretty quick um I guess like when you went on the subtronics tour I noticed like there was tons of buzz around you and vamp are doing shows together um, yeah that was sick it was really cool to see thank you um but I have a question, uh, as like a woman in the music industry who like blew up that quick, do you get like a ton of those fucking hater comments from dudes trying to like mansplain how to actually DJ and like all this kind of crap, or is it mostly positive feedback that you're getting? Okay. So it's so, so the, the reason I should preface, um, the reason I ask is because the other day I saw a video made by my buddy, Ben Jordan. He made a pretty cool YouTube video about, um, why there aren't more uh, women producers. Yeah. And he talked to a few different uh, people. And one of the people he talked to was Sarah Longfield, who's just a fucking insane guitarist. She's so good. And Ben is, yeah, Ben is also an insane guitarist. They're both really good. Um, And Ben was like, I'm, you know, I play guitar all the time. I'm like pretty good at it, but I'm like nowhere near as good as Sarah. And in all my years of uploading videos of me playing guitar, I've never gotten a hateful comment of somebody trying to tell me how to play guitar yet. Like right. all over Sarah Longfield's videos, people yeah. are like, Oh no, you should do it this way. Like this is how to do like, and I feel like, yeah, women just kind of get that um, unfair treatment in the music industry, which I think is kind of bullshit. So I guess like my question yeah, is just like, that. what is your experience being um, like on that side of things? Okay. So my personal experience has been really weird and unique to, I think, and different to a lot of, the women that I'm close with in the music industry. Um, I definitely have definitely have, I get really random. It's, it's weird. The, okay. The hate that I get feels really, really personal for some reason. Um, I get 
very little of it. So I don't know. I, you know, I don't really have that huge of a following. I'm, I don't, compared to, you know, the women that I work with, um, I really feel like, you know, I'm still really making my name in that. And like I said, you know, a lot of my experience in the music industry for the first, you know, when I was really like working to get my foot in the door was on the other side, you know what I mean? Trying to tour manage and do all that stuff. And I think the reason that I did, um, my name became, uh, like I said, I don't really, really feel like I have that crazy huge of a following, but yeah, becoming like getting the attention that I got so quickly, um, definitely had so much to do with the people that I was, um, you know, associated with like being on Jesse and Michael's tour. Like that was insane. Like that, it was insane that I even got that opportunity, you know, and I worked really hard to, um, get that tour. I also, I, um, opened and I also did merch for that entire tour. And that was kind of like, you know, my, um, my, I, I feel like I, you know, put a lot of years into paying my dues and, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, as far as like when I started DJing and producing and putting out music, um, yeah, I definitely get hate. I definitely get people, um, you know, accusing me of everything that every woman gets accused of, you know, right, like not really DJing and like, you know, oh, not, yeah. not producing your own music, not producing like, my music, not DJing. Um, not, you know what? I don't know. I've never, I've never been accused of not DJing. That's one thing. I don't know what it, why maybe, <laughs> uh, I, I, I really don't because it's so funny because I see, I see people accusing, uh, Jesse Subtronics of, of pre-recorded side. It's like it, some of these kids literally just don't even know what the things that they're saying means honestly, sometimes, right, right. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I think that I, I don't know why I've never been, and maybe I have, and I haven't seen it. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I have this weird, I don't know why, and maybe I'm going to jinx myself now, but, um, I don't get as much hate and as much like another thing I really don't get is like creepy guys in my DMS. Like, Oh my God, the things that I see, and I do like these things happen. They just happen on such a minor scale that it's funny to me because I see all my girlfriends, even girls that like, I know that have a big following on Instagram who aren't even like, like they're not, they're just like girls that are just like doing whatever career they have in, you know, uh, whatever hairstyling or finance or doing all my friends that do a million different things. And they still are harassed constantly by men in their DMS every day. And I get them here and there, but I really am not too bothered. It's really weird. If anything, in the start, I got a lot of hate from, from a lot of women Hmm. in the community, which was weird. Um, because you'd think like women would want more women to be um, like, yeah, it was no one that I was ever close with. And I don't, I don't hold (laughs) anyone. You know what? I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, it's not, things aren't lost on me. I'm not an idiot. I, I, I just am very appreciative of what I have. And I'm, I take, I take my like very specific and, you know, um, lucky opportunity that I got because of, I, and I, I would like to say, I think I'm okay in saying this, that I think it was because of how hard I worked on the other end of everything and how many years I put in, um, working the other side and making those connections where, you know, and also like just being, um, obviously like I owe it so much to being a part of grave dancer and like working with Jesse and like him wanting me on the tour and like, you know, they knew how, how well I could DJ and that I could do a good job. Um, 
uh, with the merch and everything. And like, I felt like I, I really do genuinely feel like I earned that spot and that tour gave me, uh, so much attention. So I'm, I'm truly grateful for it, but I feel like, you know, it's not lost on me that I got a lot of the opportunities I get because of all the connections I made from working so hard on the other side, which people don't know. So I got a lot of like, oh, like, where the hell did this girl come from? Like, oh, it's what? Because she's friends with Subtronics or because this or that. It's like, but no, I just like, I just worked really, really, really hard on the other side. And then people that really believed in me and knew how well I could DJ gave me an opportunity. And I think I did a good job. I, you know, I made a lot of fans from that tour. So I think that, um, I think people had a good time at my sets and honestly, I I'm, I'm having such a great time learning how to produce and it's been a journey and it's been really fucking hard and I don't, it does not come naturally to me and I have to work really hard at it. Um, but I, mean, I think that's the case for everyone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Music but I doesn't feel like, write itself. No, of course. I just feel like, you know, this is kind of something that's important for me for people to know that I've never really been giving, given the chance to explain. So I kind of, I thank you for this. Um, mm-hmm. but my, my journey in the music industry um, while I am working very, very hard on, you know, producing music and learning every day and pushing myself as hard as I can, um, it doesn't come easy to me. I was, I've never been driven by like, I was never one of those people that woke up every single, like, you know, I didn't start making music because I woke up and was like, the first thing I think about is like jumping on Ableton. I'm like, all I can think about is like getting home and learning like more and like wanting to produce, like that wasn't like what got me started. Now I enjoy it and I'm, I work really hard at it, but like, I just got so sucked into the community <laughs> as a whole. And when I got the opportunity through trying to like, like, I, I don't know, I, I felt like I woke up every day with a, thinking my purpose was to like connect people and um, take care of people. That's all I think about is how I can make people happy, how I can make people's lives easier. And like, that's why I thought I would be really good working for, you know, as in management or as a tour manager or in, you know, working um, artist relations. Like, I mean, you know, you've seen me do it. Like I, I, I'm really, those are really where I felt like my skills were utilized best. And then when I started DJing as a hobby and I loved it and I was excelling at it and I was given the opportunity to do it as a career, of course I jumped at it. Um, and then that is kind of what forced me to start learning how to produce music because I didn't want to be the person that was just DJing without putting their own stuff out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, there's like a certain level of hater who also hates on those type of people, regardless of gender (laughs) as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think I, and listen, I don't, I don't really don't feel like I, I owe it to anyone. I genuinely wanted to, I genuinely wanted to learn how to, I, 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 and I also have no hate for those people. Like, this is a thing. I think there's, it's just like the natural next step in production, uh, in, in like, like just being a part of the electronic music scene. If you DJ, yeah. right? like the, the next sort of step is like, all right, I know how to like play other people's music out and I know how to like beat match and like, you know, mix a set together and whatnot. But like, now yeah. it'd be cool to sprinkle in some actual stuff that I've made into the set. Exactly. Well. Exactly. And then, and then, like you said, you know, but there is, <clears> there <throat> is that pressure of, of like, I didn't want, I knew, I knew what was coming. I didn't want to be the person, you know, there was a, there was a pressure of getting music out there. And like, I have a long ways to go with production and I'm, if one person has enjoyed any of the music that I've put out, um, since I've started this journey, that's honestly enough for me. And, you know, but one of the things it's there, but there is, there is an art 
I know, I know that it's relatively easy enough to learn how to DJ. Yes, I understand that, but there is an art to it. And the, the, I think the most fun part about DJing is, is being a curator. And I got to say, that's like one of the things I've been, I guess, praised for the most in my career is like my taste in music and my um, ability to curate um, a set that's kind of like stuff that I don't know. I love, I love putting DJ sets together. I love making mixes. Um, and while again, yeah, while I'm loving learning how to produce and I am very happy that I was pushed into, um, doing so I, my drive as like a, a an artist and electronic community or at all has been 100% to put on a show that people can look forward to. Like, I liked the fact that I thought of like the way that I felt when I was going to see Zed's dead, or I was going to see Gonda white Knight, or I was going to see like any of the people that like, I, you know what I mean? Going to see you going to see any of the people that I've like looked forward to being like, Oh my God, I'm working three doubles this week. And then I have this to do. And then I have this to do, but then I get to go to this show on Friday and it's going to be fucking awesome. I liked the idea of being that for people And that kind of goes back to like, just, you know, if I ever felt like I had a purpose in any way, it was to connect people and to make people happy. And like, I like to be, my goal in life is to make people feel better meeting me than they did before they had me in their life. And that's, that falls so much into my reason for wanting to be Zaya. And I don't want people to take that the wrong way because I love learning. I love making music. I do love making music. But if people ask me what pushes me to do this still, it is giving people something to look forward to. And like, I love playing shows and I love like thinking about just people just being like, oh, I can't wait to see Maya this weekend. Like, you know, it's going to make this whole shitty week worth it. You know, <laughs> that's, that's really what, what it is for me. And I think that's a big reason why, um, I've kind of like in the midst of Corona started being pulled more towards like the singer songwriter stuff. That's really what I've wanted to do, um, my whole life. And now I don't think I would have ever even considered giving it a real shot if it hadn't been for doing, um, all the stuff I've been doing with Zaya. So it's cool to kind of like pull inspiration from that and putting it into this other project too. Sick. Well, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to hear some of the singer songwriter stuff you're doing. I think it will be super interesting and I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. Stoked to, to hear that direction. Um, well, yeah, thanks a lot for uh, coming on the podcast. It's been awesome to chat and yeah, I don't actually think we've ever like had a long proper chat anyway, even though we've known each other for a while. So I know, no, just a lot of car rides and a quick, uh, stop for water at my place. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And just like, no, I'm honestly like when you asked me, I was, I felt so honored that you even wanted to talk, but it's honestly like, it's really nice. I, I, I'm really grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to kind of, uh, speak my truth. Cause I feel like, you know, your question asking me, um, about any hate that I get, I've been really, really grateful, um, to not get, receive a lot of that. And, but I also still kind of felt like people had a certain um, idea about me in their head and, um, you've given me, um, a platform to really go into detail about my intentions and my journey. And I really appreciate that like a lot. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely stuff like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram is like not the correct platform. I feel like to talk about stuff like this, right. Cause yeah, 
the content and the attention span of the people on like those platforms is like way too short. Not, yeah, not that, like, I'm really bad at it. I'm like so bad. <laughs> like I try so hard to be good at social media and I'm just like too busy. <laughs> yeah. It's hard sense. to keep up with. For sure. Well, yeah, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. No, seriously, like Bill, it, this has been such a pleasure and I really, I really hope that you know how honored it was that you asked me at all. I appreciate it so much. Of course. All right, well, I hope to chat with you soon. Yeah, you too. Let's keep in touch, okay? Will do. All right. All right. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. (laughs) 